Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. The race is on, and the Mercedes W12 that everyone expects to take an unprecedented eighth consecutive double world championship has broken cover. But will it live up to its illustrious predecessors, or might the aerodynamic rule changes trip Mercedes up? I'm Ed Straw, and joining me to answer those questions and more are Gary Anderson and Mark Hughes. Well, Gary, actually, the most important question is our traditional starter on these these launch podcasts. Where do you rate this one? This had what you asked for, car, drivers, team boss, technical director. Yeah, yeah, this is the first uh, real, I suppose you might call it car release that we've seen this year. All the rest have had been a, a gimmick of something else, which, you know, never really, you, you don't really take it with a as the truth of what's really going on whenever you see all the gimmicks around it. But Mercedes just done the job the way they've always done the job. They've got the car there, they've got two drivers there, they've got the team boss, technical director. They talked about the car. Um, and you know, okay, they hid up. They've hidden the, the sort of details down the sides of the floor, and rightly so. You know, they they referenced it to say that they didn't want to show their their solutions for it just yet, which I agree a hundred percent with. But you know, they didn't they didn't hide it by not taking pictures of it. They, you know, there was some good pictures of the car. So we saw the car. We met the people. We got their intentions for the season. And um, from what I see, the others better look out. Yeah, it's a very confident team in terms of what it can and cannot show, isn't it? I mean, Mark, it was good that James Allison wasn't afraid of pointing out a few things where there were things he didn't want to talk about. He said, no, we've hidden the floor. We don't want you seeing that. But it just seems that they know exactly what they're about, whereas other teams just seem to hide everything through paranoia. Mercedes have a very clear understanding of what they can talk about, what they can hide. Yeah, well, I guess the uh, all those championships um, give them a certain amount of confidence, and so they're not shy about... Um, you know, given letting us see that they've made a very aggressive uh, attempt at optimizing the car under these new regulations, and when you look at the uh, the, the sort of lumps and bumps on the car, there's clearly a, a lot of um, uh, re-engineering got on in terms of side pod shapes, and um, also what they've done with the the power unit has made um, significant um, gains and changes there as well. So. Yeah, it, it just gives the impression that this um, they're taking this final season of this formula uh, just as uh, aggressively and just as seriously as any of the previous ones. Yeah, James Allison used a phrase that isn't often used in F1 launches when you refer to a very sexy bulge on the car. So that's something a little bit uh, a little bit different. But Gary, looking at the the detail of the car, I guess it's always worth starting at the front and working back. What struck you about it, other than, of course, the uh, the modified livery, which doesn't make a great deal of difference to performance, but as the Jordan One Nine One shows, it's nice to have a good uh, a good paint job. But front end looks sort of relatively familiar, doesn't it? Um, yeah, it does. I, th- I think, you know, if you look at it closely, there's a, a lot of very detailed changes, I believe, in it, um, right through the front wing and even the nose detail. Um, it's, you know, this is, these rules are fairly stable, other than the changes, obviously, for the for the floor and the diffuser and the rear brake ducts. But these rules have been fairly well sort of researched in the past little while. So there will be subtle changes in it. Um to just optimize all those components again, the barge board area and the floor 
uh, works together. But as far as the front wing is concerned, you know, your main aim is to get as much flow through between the front wheels as possible. And you don't want the wake of the um, of the front wing affecting the airflow to the barge boards too much because you know that's that's what the barge boards have got to work on. So the detail of the front wing and the flow coming off it is very important. And they've, you know, sort of, uh, I think you might call it, they've got a bit more dramatic with the inboard end of the flaps. It's a bit, it's a bit squarer. Um, normally it sort of sweeps outward a bit earlier on most of the cars and the Mercedes last year did that. But now they've swept the inboard that little bit and they've got that uh, slot gap in the fourth element Again, because they're working it pretty hard, um, pulling airflow through between the front wheels. And, you know, you don't want the airflow to separate there because if you get separation on the front wing, that just has a knock-on effect all the way down the car. So the combination of their um, cape underneath the nose, the detail of that inboard end of the front flaps and that, really, really important area because it will affect the whole car if it's not correct. There's also a little bit of change, kind of midships, bit of a different mounting for the rear wing, uh, rear view mirrors. Barge boards, of course, change as they always do. Difficult to comment too much on it, but you just see more detail, don't you? Yeah, the barge boards, I mean, are very complicated. Mercedes have always had a real good grasp on the complication of that. And and this is no 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 different. There may be subtle angle changes and twists and an extra flap here and there on it, you know, but to actually comment on them and, and say whether what it's trying to achieve is a very difficult thing to do because it's the sum of all those turning veins and how it influences the airflow um, and gets it around the side of the car that make it all work as a package. Um, it's not one in the, any individual component that makes it all work. You know, all the teams this year will be trying very hard to make the, the front section of the floor work that bit harder, um, that front corner of the floor, and get more downforce out of that area because the more you get out of that area, then the less effect the leakage underneath the floor at the back will have on the diffuser. So... It's, it's slightly changed its uh, the objective, but it's still the same principles. Um, as far as the mirrors are concerned, yeah, they've, they've a little detail change on the on the mounting bracket. Um, it's a bigger radius, really, where the vertical bit joins the horizontal part. And I think that's been done because structurally it's a better solution. The tighter the radius there, the more flexing you would get in it or could get in it. So the, the heavier and the stiffer it needs to be. Um, but also for the driver, it's a bit thinner section there now. So for the driver, he's not seeing it because it's the one when you're looking straight ahead you're looking a long way down the road but when you're trying to place the car into a corner you're trying to place that wheel into the curb somewhere and you know your vision across that corner of the chassis is actually quite important to seeing where the wheel is relative to the curb so it might be just one of those sort of things where the driver requested a little bit less blockage and they come up with a solution that's actually lighter stiffer and uh, maybe slightly better aerodynamically so everything as i say it's all the sum of all the parts that add up so all those little details make changes, but if those changes add up to something quantifiable, then you put them on the car. Of course, we should note there's a few bigger changes around, obviously, the DAS, the dual-axis steering, as we know. That's outlawed for this year, so that's gone. James Allison mentioned that that actually helped them a bit in terms of having a bit more weight to spend, because obviously that system did did add a bit of weight to the car. The minimum weight's gone up by six kilos as well, so that all adds up to a little bit that they can they can spend, as he put it. Uh, but Mark, getting further back in the car, you mentioned the the packaging. Obviously, the, the power unit itself is an interesting one. Mercedes haven't been afraid, again, of, of hinting at some of the changes they've made there. They've talked about reliability improvements. They've talked about developing the technology. They've talked about some innovations. So people should be perhaps a little bit wary at, at Renault and, and Honda and Ferrari about the step that Mercedes has taken yet again, even in the eighth year of this regulation package engine-wise. 
Yeah, and they've come up with um, a, a different um, alloy for the block as well because they weren't satisfied with the um, reliability of the original one. And so, yeah, new um, new way of uh, designing the OSK, which is, they said the one that they, they had, which was introduced in 2020, <clears throat> did give them a very big um, performance boost at the time, but they've, they've it's it's proved a bit brittle and it they're very sensitive to how it was assembled and um they've had quite a few failures so they've attended to that where well, they, they they hope they have they they um they've they've taken some uh, measures to try and improve the reliability of that at the same time as working on the um increasing the power output of the uh, ICE as well so you know they they they're pushing very they just adds the impression of how hard they're pushing and very aggressive throughout this you know you look at the whole car obviously the the power unit continues for another few years yeah but you look at the whole car this is the last year of this formula and it would be very easy to for them to sort of take the foot off the gas or or focus more towards 22 and just come up with a mild rework and but Clear that they haven't approached it in that way. It's clear that they've, they've taken it as, as aggressively as they can within the the parameters of the the, regu- the special regulations this year, which don't allow you to change um, everything. So yeah, just um, just I think it just adds to that uh, impression that uh, the others have uh, have got a very very high standard to to, to match. I imagine Gary, if you're in that position of a technical director and you've got all these engine gains being made. They also talked about improvements in terms of uh, the way things are working combustion-wise, improve the thermal efficiency, definitely power gains. That'd be music to your ears, wouldn't it? So you've probably got an engine package that's going to work better on all areas and probably a bit more aggressively packaged. So that's just ticking all the boxes, isn't it? Yeah, it is really. I mean, and that's the way I think you have to look at it. There's no there's no one box that a, a power unit manufacturer can look into now and say, right, okay, this is this is where we're going to spend all our money developing. You have to take it as a complete unit. Um, it's again, it's like the car, you know, as I keep talking about the front wing, you know, the front wing will affect how the diffuser works. The diffuser will affect how the front wing works. So everything has to be integrated together. And it's the same with the power unit. It's all about packaging everything. If it can be cooled with less airflow through it, um, then the car, less airflow through the radiators, then the car will be able to produce more downforce. If it gives you that little bit extra power, but it's, more important to be consistent power, not just that peaky power that maybe, you know, for 50 revs you've got an extra 10 horsepower. You'd be far better at 5 horsepower over 200, 300, 400 revs. Um, so it's all about understanding and the balance between all that stuff. And uh, the regen and the, and the deployment of the power is so sophisticated now. It just, you know, you can, you can very simply look at it and say every time the driver's got the, the throttle flat out, he wants more power, and that's whenever you've got to be able to give it to him, and you've got to give it to him for as long as he's got that throttle flat out. So the objectives there, and Mercedes just seem to be able to understand that and detail it all and just get on with the job uh, much better, much much more complete, I think, than, than what we've seen from the other uh, power unit manufacturers. And obviously, we've mentioned the floor. The floor that was on the launch car could not have been more bland, could it? It was basically sort of straight edge, no detailing. All the teams are being a little bit coy 
with what they've got in this area. What sort of detailing are you expecting to see, Gary? Because you're not allowed the slots in it. So is it all going to be about the detail around the edge to try and keep that underfloor sealed? Yeah, I mean, I'm even surprised, basically, that they were allowed to have the turning veins that we saw on the the, other, the Red Bull and the uh, Alpha Tori, I think it was, just in front of the rear tires. There's a sort of vein sticking up there. Um, with that regulation going in there, you know, that they had an opportunity to sort of eliminate a lot of that stuff if they really want to and, and give it a maximum section thickness so that the floor basically had a plan view triangular cutout and a maximum section thickness with no with no holes in it. But they don't seem to have done that. So there is does look like there's some room, some scope for subtle components in there to try to stop that airflow from tucking under the floor. Because obviously underneath the car is running at a low pressure area. That's what's sucking the car down onto the ground. And it wants to suck air from anywhere it can get it. And basically it'll suck air over the top of the coat ball and down underneath the car. And that hurts the diffuser, uh, diffuser performance. And again, the rear brake ducts, all those turning vanes on them were doing exactly the same thing. They were, in effect, pulling air from the coat ball so that the, the, the diffuser didn't get the airflow spilling over the floor, even in the old design. So there has to be something coming up there that will make that... Um, be more uh, more performant, I suppose you might call it, than just a flat floor. I mean, if you go back to the old days, and uh, sorry, talk about the Jordan 191 at a point in time like this, but, you know, the floor detail then was a very big flat floor area, and the closer you could get that to the ground, even to the extent that some people were, uh, were done for flexing the floors a little bit, um, you know, it made a massive difference to the amount of diffuser could work, because it's, it's if you can seal it to the floor, it's a big, big thing, so... The bargeboard combination in that Coke bottle area and the little gizmos that will appear in there um, before testing and before the first race will be very interesting to see who gets on top of it um, quickly enough. But uh, I'm sure that's the area that the main focus will go on because it's the biggest loss in the, in the whole regulation change from 2020. Certainly something that Mercedes has talked about a lot, James Allison in particular, obviously, as we talked about before, their last upgrade was Spa Race 7 last year, so they had plenty of time last year to do their R&D on it and should be in a in a good position. Mark, how seriously do you take James Allison saying things like, well, this is something that we need to be on top of and it's something that could trip us up? Obviously, he's been talking up the impact of the cost cap as well, all these little rule changes, and he said that quite a lot of investment had gone into working on parts just to increase parts life, which is obviously going to be quite an important thing when it comes to uh, to the cost cap this year because you don't want to go throwing too many bits at the car because that can soon add up. How seriously do you think we should take that sort of talk from people like James Allison and Toto Wolf or is that just the, the Mercedes psyche of just take everything ultra seriously and don't underestimate the capacity of anything to trip you up? I think they're they're not just saying it for effect. I think it, it, it's it's the the mentality that they're, they're working to and so as things get more and more restricted in terms of what you can and can't do and how much you can and can't spend. And you, obviously the, the focus of attention switches to more and more marginal gains and um, operating maximum efficiency in terms of parts turnaround within your cost cap has got to be very much part of that and streamlining that whole system. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to bring gains which through the season. So, yeah, I think absolutely that's probably been a um, – a more directed focus for them, let's say, um, than the, the it was in the pre-cost cap when you could uh, just concentrate on 
uh, through, throughput of development and converting your, what your wind tunnel's given you into, into parts. There was also a suggestion from Alison that this cost cap will actually potentially make them be more efficient and effective with what they do. Because obviously, and Gary, you'll have been in this situation, slightly different approach to it in that you were often working on tight budgets by necessity rather than by by regulation. But this argument that when you're doing all the stuff Mercedes are doing and they'll and then you try and work out a way to do it efficiently so you do the same stuff but on much less time whether that time whether that's the the CFD and wind tunnel yeah. resource they've got or just money does that actually work can you say well we're going to really work on the efficiency and actually it'll probably make us better relative to the rest do you think that works for a big organization I think it has to be made work now with the cost cap I mean the cost cap is just a, a number in space um, and basically you know, you have to say that these components, you know, let's take an example, a top front wishbone for one of these cars. You know, to manufacture it, go through the testing and all that stuff beforehand, you're probably talking, I don't know, two and a half thousand pounds per per unit. If you can bring that unit cost down or its life up um, so it does more races, then, you, you know, you go round and round the car with all the bits and you end up with maybe two more design engineers because you can afford them. And that's the objective, really, to make everything more efficient. We used to have a, a number, basically, for um, what we would classify as a lap time improvement. So aerodynamically, again, this is just numbers at the top of my head, if you could gain a tenth of a second or predict the gain of a tenth of a second on a lap for £10,000, you would go for it. But if it was going to cost you £100,000, you wouldn't. And that's the sort of thing you've you got to put in place. It will mean that you know you, you have to find more for less. So you can either bring the component cost down or you can wait until you've got more of a step to put together as a package. So that's all got to be reviewed and looked at for them to make sense of this cost cap, really, to be honest. You can't just say, right, okay, we'll have to build the car. It costs us this much money and we can only afford to, instead of having 800 people or whatever here, we can only afford to have 500 because you want to have 600 and bring the cost of the car down a little bit. So it's a, it's a balancing act. And I think that's what Mercedes are really saying. If they can be more efficient, then they'll have more people there to be more efficient. So it'll be a spiral to to just operate in a company more efficiently. And of course, that's one of the things that could potentially trip Mercedes up. But Mark, do you see any other troubles on the horizon? Obviously, a lot of people are talking about Lewis Hamilton's one-year deal and whether that will be a, a distraction, which I always think it's a little bit of a strange thing to say about distraction because the, the hundreds of people at Brackley and Bricksworth doing their jobs, they're not sat there with only 80% of their attention on the job in hand because they're worried about Lewis Hamilton, are they? But do you think that could be a, a disruption in any way or is it just going to be a bit of a sideshow in the media? I think it does. Um, it, it, not so much with the, the, the people on the shop floor, but in terms of the, the management, the people who are leading the team and their relationship with the driver is important, yeah. And I think it could be a distraction <clears throat> both both for them and for the driver. But uh, yeah, you, you're still, you're going to see, um, you're not going to see a, a second-rate performance from a, a, a driver of Lewis Hamilton's caliber. It's, it's more to do with um, where the where the focus of the the team is in a, the later part of the year, when when, when before that's been resolved, um, whether he continues or not. So and, and you know, and also if he doesn't, um, who's going to be there instead, and all those all those questions. Um, but anything else? It's very difficult to think of why they would be tripped up more than another team. I mean, there's, every, every team's facing 
the same challenges every team has faced, you know, the, the constraints. Um, but I, it, the, the critical thing, if, if you're a team, is how you're comparing in to the other teams and how you're meeting those challenges. And I, I, given the caliber of the team that, that, that it showed itself to be, I really can't see why they would need to fear anything, particularly tripping them up. Because um, I think they could always identify and um, correct any any problem that they, they encounter. I think I think that all I'd like to add there is that you know in Lewis Hamilton they have an exceptional number one driver. You know whether they like being called number one or number two, it doesn't really matter. You know in Max Verstappen you've got an exceptional number one driver, and I think whenever you sort of go back down. And to any team that says they don't have a number one and a number two driver, they've got two number twos, basically. Um, so that's the problem. You know, Lewis is one of those number ones. He will always be. He, always, he deserves that that accolade. Um, and for Mercedes, if they lost that number one guy, you know, if you look at the many points that Lewis has scored over the last seven years from the hybrid era, it's a massive amount more points than the next guy. And... Um, you know that's that's going to be very hard to replace. Even if Mercedes did try to replace him with Max Verstappen, it's still going to be very hard to replace because he's he's grown with that team dramatically, and he is you know part of the foundation of that team. So I'm sure there's a little bit of worry at the top end in the offices, but for further down the road and further down in the in the workforce, I don't think they really sort of understand the politics too much. They just get on with the job. They like success, and the only unfortunate thing is that Lewis has been bringing the success to them. Although, to be fair, Gary, in your career, you were normally wondering about whether suddenly Emmanuel Nespetti will turn up in the next race rather than the drive you've got. So I, I guess you were probably quite uh, quite inured to that kind of thing. So you don't, you're not you know, respecting Manuel Nespetti? What was wrong with Nespetti? No, no, a good, a, a good driver. But the fact that you might, you might not know whether it's him next week or Thierry Bootsen or Marco Apicella to use, uh, to use that particular year as an example. We were, we were really in a very, very different world um, back then to what, what we have now. You know, the whole plan is around um, success. There's only 10 teams in Formula 1. And, you know, Mercedes have been without doubt that, you know, everybody, every team's dream of their success. But they've been so good through all the years. And, you know, I'm not a big fan of that because I like to see competition. I don't mind them winning in the end, but I want to see them go a good wheel bag and battle to win, not just a a domination uh, and no matter what team it is I think that's that's wrong for the sport because it shows us something very very wrong in the structure of the of the sport not in Mercedes Mercedes have taken a set of circumstances and they've optimized it to the best possible way for them to operate and if that includes a you know 40 million pound driver when the rest of them are struggling to get two or three million then that's what they've decided to spend their money on um, and that's all okay Problem is now that they're spending the money on the car and the driver, and it was always going to be this way. When you put a cost cap in there, without the driver's salary in it, or without the three big earners as such in the company as well, then you are going to get more disparity because the guy that can afford the money for the driver will pay it. They will pay it because they know that's a major part of it. If all the drivers were the same amount of money, you know, five million each or whatever, then Lewis Hamilton would still win races. You know that's 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 the difference, but it's not like that. So the the top team with the top money can spend it on the driver, and it will always make you know the, the them the them that have and them that don't have. There'll always be a disparity. 
And obviously, we're very used to Mercedes doing very well, and it's it's probably quite quite dull for people to listen to us in general, but specifically just saying how good Mercedes are. But Mark, when you look at it, there is no real reason for why we should expect things to change. Maybe they could change next year because there are dramatic new technical regulations and there's more potential things to trip up a team like Mercedes, although they're still a very, very good team. So why should they? But is there, there's no real reason to expect something different, is there? It's still the same minds, the same systems, the same processes, the same understanding, the same science that's produced everything they've done on, on this year's car. They are just an astonishingly good Grand Prix team who've achieved an unprecedented run of success. And no matter what resources and the cash they've got to throw behind it, for example, Ferrari had the resources to do this. They just didn't get it right over a long period, didn't they, ultimately? So we can't just say this has happened by accident to Mercedes, and we have to appreciate what they've done. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, they can only just do what they they, they do. It's... Um, it's down to the others, isn't it? It's down to Red Bull and Honda and, as you say, Ferrari um, to, you know, to step up to identify what what are the, what have been the barriers that have kept them from um, challenging this level of success for so many years and to uh, address those. And if you look at Ferrari, there's been um, lots of changes there and there's been... Um, mistaken interpretation of technical regs there which has set them back when it's been reset uh there's been at red bull they've, they've been pursuing an aerodynamic concept which has been a lot trickier to do but they've stuck with it um then there's their destiny is not quite in their own hands because they've been um, a, a customer team in, in terms of needing a, an automotive partner um so there's all those things that structurally just get in the way of challenge you can't ha- you can't afford to have those ambivalences when you you're trying to compete with a, an entity as um perfectly rounded and um resourced as mercedes so it, yeah they they just do what they do and um they're clearly still extremely motivated and just as um gung ho for success as um they were at the start of this the period of this this, this formula it's 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 down to the others actually the mention there of the red bull aerodynamic concepts before we wrap up gary I should ask you about the thing that you suspect might actually benefit mercedes in terms of the rule changes and that they have gone with the lower rate concept for a, a long time obviously the high rate concept became very de rigueur and and popular but mercedes has stuck with their direction because they understand it and it works for them but with the, these floor changes, that could actually play to its advantage, couldn't it? Yes, it could do. I mean, it's, it's a difficult thing without obviously doing all the research, but in theory, the, the, there is no team out there that wouldn't seal the gap from the floor to the to the ground if the regulations allowed it. That that would be, you know, the number one thing you would do because that the car would generate more downforce. Now, when you've got the more rake on the car, like the, the Red Bull run, um, that works, you know, at higher ride heights, that works more of a diff- as a diffuser, as long as you can seal some of that airflow from leaking in underneath the car. And to get it to work for you, you have to do it better than the guys that are running the low rake because you're, you're creating a bigger gap, so you have to just reduce that gap as such. So I think the, the lower rake cars will lose less downforce um, with the, the new regulations, with that floor regulation, than the high rake cars will. Um, 
So it's one of those sort of situations that could play into Mercedes' hands. They've, they've done their gearbox rear suspension work last year uh, to get more airflow through the Coke bottle. Again, that's a benefit for these regulations because the less blockage there is through there, the more air will pass through that hole, less air will be sucked underneath the floor into the diffuser. So th- this could be a set of regulations that changes into the hands of Mercedes for sure. And I think the others will struggle a little bit to, to optimise it to the same level. You know, going back to what Mark was just saying there, I would just love to see more competition from Red Bull, Ferrari, McLaren, whoever, to just to to change the dynamic at Mercedes and see how they react to that pressure. Because the pressure is different, completely different, and the motivation is completely different if you're if you stand a chance of getting beaten each weekend. Um, I mean, Mercedes will say, oh, they go to every race thinking that they're going to get beaten. But the reality, you know, the numbers on the, on the card show that that doesn't happen that often. So, But let's cha- let's see if we can change that dynamic by one of the other teams nipping at their heels on a much, much more regular basis. Then, you know, we'll, have to, we'll see how they operate differently with a different set of pressures on them. I think that's what every neutral F1 fan would like to see because in competition, yeah, the cracks do start to widen a little. They might otherwise be there. We have seen Mercedes fold occasionally on race weekends. It tends to stand out because of their position and, and the way it happens. But... Who knows, when, when teams are under more pressure, you you never know how they respond. Well, thank you very much, Gary Anderson and Mark Hughes, for your insight about a car I suspect we'll be talking about rather a lot over the next 10 months or so. We'll discuss the new Alpine, which is also launched today in tomorrow's podcast, which will also cover the much-anticipated Aston Martin launch. In the meantime, do head to therace.com and don't forget the hyphen. Plenty to read there on both launches. And also check out our YouTube channels for plenty to watch about F1's launch season. If you like our podcasts, check out Bring Back V10s, which this week features Johnny Herbert looking back at the demise of Team Lotus in 1994. So thanks for listening. Join us tomorrow for everything you need to know about Alpine and Aston Martin.